All right, good morning. Good to see everybody here this morning. Just a couple quick announcements before we get started. So one, as we talked about last week, uh, the concerts this uh, coming Thursday. So Seventh Day Slumber is going to be here. So if anybody who wants to be involved or wants to uh, be a part of that and come and be at the concert, so that's going to be happening um, on Thursday night. So we encourage you, if you're not coming, be praying for uh, the opportunities that we're hoping God presents as times to not only uh, be able to come together and worship together with them, but also make connections with people that uh, we haven't been able to um, in the past. Also, uh, it's summer season, so remind everybody of this, and, and again, maybe that's some of you guys that are joining us online today. If you're traveling, don't forget, we have Life Online, so you can stay connected. Um, each one of these messages that we do build upon each other, so it's nice to be able to go back or stay connected with uh, what's going on so that it kind of all flows together. All right, so the series that we're in, Unshakable Faith, I'll give you uh, a very short preview of what we have been doing. So if you're online and joining us for the first time or you're here and joining us for the first time, I want to give you an idea of what we're talking about. So the idea is unshakable faith means that for us as believers, regardless of the circumstances of life, our faith won't be shaken. Right? So whatever happens to us, we're not going to move off center. So if following Christ, that's the whole concept of what Scripture says. It's more than believing. You know, we said that in the first week. Like, be careful when somebody says all you have to do is believe because that's really not what Scripture says. What Scripture says is you need to follow him. And so in following him, if this is the path in following Christ, that nothing inside of the world, the circumstances of life are going to knock us off that. Now, if you've been in faith long enough, you know that that's easier said than done, right? Because circumstances of life sometimes hit you when you least expect it, or even maybe when you do expect it, and you maybe think that your faith is stronger than it really is, but it does knock you off center, right? Like things move you. And so this series is about saying we want that type of a faith and that it's going to continue to grow. Unshakable faith continues to grow. It's not something that you just get and, and you have it forever. It's, it's like a muscle that it continues to grow as we exercise it, right? So part of exercising it and growing it and preparing ourselves for the circumstances of life are some catalysts, right? There's some faith catalysts that help you grow your faith and be able to uh, make that muscle stronger so that when the circumstances of life happen, you don't get knocked off center. So the first one was practical teaching. And so the first week we said, remember this, practical teaching isn't that you finally came to a church where the pastor makes sense, right? Because it really does us no good to take a, a journal full of notes or to write things on your phone or type things into your phone and then walk away and nothing change. Right? Like that is not practical teaching. Practical teaching is, Jesus would say to us, that you become a doer of the word. So if God's word says this, then we go ahead and do it. And when we do, this is what he tells us, right? That our foundation is secure, right? That if the storm comes in, which it will, that your foundation, although it might, your house might be shook a little bit and your windows might break and you know, you might get some leaks, but the house is going to stand because your foundation is secure. But your foundation is only secure because you're a doer of the word, not because you come to church, right? Or not because you go to a Bible study. It's because you take what Scripture says and then you apply it in your life. And making sure that we're on the same page of saying it's just not a suggestion to be a doer of the word. Because he says, for those who listen and don't do, your house will collapse, 
right? Like, it isn't even a question. It isn't like, well, maybe if the storm isn't very strong, your house, you know, will stand. It's essentially saying when the storm comes, if you're not a doer of the word, it's going to collapse, right? And so we need to make sure that we become doers of the word. The next thing was is personal ministry, right? It was this idea to say, we want to be life changers, like we want to change the world, but we're really not sure what to do, right? And it can become overwhelming. Like if you view the world through the eyes of God, like have you ever thought about that? Like if you view the world through the eyes of God and you see what's going on, right? Something should be breaking your heart. That's what I'm always saying. Like as Christian people, if you view this world through the lens of God, there's a lot to be broke about, right? Like there's a lot going on in this world that we need to look at and say, this grieves us, and it grieves the heart of God, and we need to do something about it. But if you're like me, you look at this, and you're like, how am I going to fix this? Right? Like, wh- what tools do I have? Right? Like, what am I going to be able to do? I don't have anything special, but personal ministry in that message, I, I told you guys, was life-changing. And it said, you know what? You don't have to have it all fixed. Just bring him what's in your lunchbox and start handing out fish. And each one of us has something in our lunchbox the question is, are you going to give it to God or are you going to keep it to yourself? Right? That was the whole idea. The whole idea of personal ministry is saying, I can't change the world, but I got this and I can give it to somebody else. That's what personal ministry is. You don't have to fix everything, but you do have to take what you have and give it to somebody else. And then our faith grows. And everybody's experienced this, right? Like if you've done something where somebody asked you to do it and you didn't feel prepared and then you did it, then what happened afterwards? You're like, oh my gosh. Like... I can do this, and all of a sudden your faith grows, and your faith grows, but it will never grow until you start handing out fish or until you start giving away those things. Then we talked about providential relationships, and this was kind of the, the turning point, I've always said, because, like, here's, here's what we need to be doing, but who's going to hold us accountable? And if you're like me, you like accountability, mm, like I don't really like to be told what to do, you know, and so... That whole struggle of like somebody in your life that's saying, hey, guess what? You should be here and you're not, you know. And so providential relationships, though, this is what I've said. If you don't have them in your life, all of those other things, being a doer of the word and then following out the, the call of having personal ministry, if you don't have somebody coming to you in your life that you're going to accept them saying, you know what, you're not doing it, then what's going to happen over here is you're just going to do what's comfortable. Because providential relationships stretch you out of your comfort zone, right? And you need those people in your life. And so we said during that message, like, hey, one of the things that you need to do is you need to go back and you need to thank the people that have been that for you, right? Not only to remind them that this is a part of their calling and the things that they need to do, but to remind you that then you should be for somebody else, right? My hope is, is that you didn't walk away just saying thank you to somebody. You walked away saying, and I need to be this for somebody. Right? Everybody needs that providential relationship that can change the course of their life and change the course of the things that they're going to be doing. Now, today, we're going to talk about private discipline. Okay? So private discipline um, and how private discipline and specifically private spiritual disciplines can give us the faith that we need to be able to grow. Now, Here's the thing that we understand about private discipline when it comes to life, right? Discipline, at times, when we look at it, we're like, oh, my gosh, you know, it's something that you hate, right? Because then you actually have to be disciplined, right? You can't just do whatever you want to do, whenever you want to do it. You have to be disciplined. But the only way to be disciplined is to pre-decide to be disciplined, 
right? So to be disciplined, you have to pre-decide that I want this, and then discipline will follow a pre-decision that you've made. Does that make it, that makes a little sense? Yeah, so examples. So I've told you about Isaac, who, like, when he got out of high school, he made this pre-decision, like, I want to get bigger. I don't like being skinny. Like, we were always wondering, like, where did you come from? All the hills are big. Like, what happened to you? Because you're, like, skinny. And so Isaac pre-decided that I'm going to do something about it. And so, I mean, I don't know if you've seen Isaac lately, but he's put on, like, 40 pounds, you know, because he pre-decided that he's going to work out. Now, here's the crazy thing. So when you have the time, this is what happens with pre-decision that leads to discipline, that leads to habits, then the habits are life-changing. That's how it works, right? You pre-decide, you become disciplined, you do it even though you don't want to do it. Then all of a sudden it becomes a habit. And then once it becomes a habit, then it becomes life-changing. And then if you don't do it even though you hated it before, you miss it, right? That's, that's how it works. So some of his schedule's been changing, and so he's doing some stuff in the afternoon when he, you know, normally works out. And so he'll get done feeding, he'll come in and eat supper, and come in and work out at 8 o'clock at night. And, hey, what are you doing? Well, I pre-decided I'm going to work out six days a week, and I've only got in this amount. I'm like, man, I wish I had that discipline. Do you know what I mean? Like, I wish I had, you know, that, that much drive to pre-decide that this is what I want to do and, and be able to get it done when it comes to my health. But it's really the same thing with your time, right? You have to pre-decide what you're going to do with your time because if you don't pre-decide what you're going to do with your time, somebody else is going to do it, right? Like somebody else is going to tell you what to do with your time if you don't pre-decide. That's why Franklin Covey, you know, way back when, when I had a, you know, that Franklin Covey coach, it really changed my life because he's like, if you don't pre-decide, somebody else is going to. So taught me this idea of block scheduling. And I'm like, Oh, you know, I don't know about block scheduling, but you know what block scheduling helps with? So in my block scheduling, if it says family time and you call me and you want me to do something, I can tell you I'm busy. Where before, if that wasn't blocked out, I'd be like, well, family, you, and then most of the time I would choose you over family. Right? Like that's the way that it works. So block scheduling would say, nope, I'm looking at the schedule, and this says time with my kids, times with my wife, times with. So I can't do this time, right? I'm not going to give that time away because I pre-decided that I'm going to do budgets, right? Budgets are just pre-decision, right? I have X amount of money, you know, coming in. I'm going to pre-decide where it's going to go, you know, and then when we pre-decide where it gets to go, then we get to experience the benefits of us deciding where it goes instead of getting to the end of the month and be like. Anybody ever say this? Where did all your money go? Nobody. Like, you've never had those months where you get to the end of it, you're like, man, I thought we had money. And then all of a sudden, you look back, you're like, I have no idea where we spent all of our money. I'm like, well, that's weird because it's the only thing that's black and white in your life, right? X comes in and X goes out. And so if you don't have any idea where that goes, then we should probably do something about it. But does that make sense? So the world's made up of, if you pre-decide, it becomes a discipline. A discipline then becomes a habit, and then a habit becomes life-changing, okay? So the same concept is with private spiritual disciplines, right? The idea that we need to pre-decide that there are certain elements that Scripture tells us, like, these are the disciplines you should have, and if you do these, they will become a habit, and if they become a habit, then it'll become life-changing. Now, here's why these private spiritual disciplines are so important. 
because I've seen this in way too many people's lives. When you don't have private spiritual disciplines and you're not attached to a personal relationship with Christ and you're only attached to a religious environment, you're hard to be around, right? And I want you to think about this because what happens, and you see this in Scripture, right? So you saw it with the Pharisees. The Pharisees were very religious but not relational, right? Come on, am I losing you? Stay with me. You're going to like this message, I promise. We're getting there. Very religious where they checked off the boxes. They were very disciplined in their religious activity. They went to church and they, you know, they did certain things, but their personal relationship with Christ or their personal relationship with God was completely missing. And so when people around them, people who are religious are very judgmental. Right? So this is what you see. People that are, and this is, I've said this, so don't take this wrong. You might take this wrong, but anyway. So one of the things I've always said, you know who some of the worst people to be around? Church people. I'm like, they're the meanest, backstabbingest, backbiting, crazy people I've ever seen. I'm like, I'd much rather hang out with people who don't know the Lord because you guys are nuts. Right? Or you guys are judgmental or you're hard to be around. Well, part of that reason is, is that if you don't have this personal, because when you have a personal relationship, it's humbling to be a Christian, right? Like when you read your Bible, you're like, holy cow, do I have a long way to go, right? So it's very humbling. So I don't look at somebody and be like, wow, look at me, I'm so good, you know, and I go to church and you don't go to church and, you know, I chew and you don't chew and, you know, like this, all of these things that, you know, this finger pointing that people do that become religious. And I'm like, hey, read the scripture. We're both in the same boat. I mean, I don't know if you want to, you know, God looks at us both the same. Your, I love quoting this verse to religious people. So your, your righteous acts in God's eyes are like filthy rags. So just a reminder, you're not that much better than me. You know, so let's stay on a, on a level playing field here. And you can do that when you have a personal relationship, right? When you take the time outside of what's happening in groups and say, you know what, I'm going to talk to my Lord. And when you do that, you develop a personal relationship inside of faith that lasts, right? And that's why, you know, if, if you see people, you know, and they go to a church and they're like, you know what, I, you know, stopped going to church. And when I stopped going to church, I kind of fell away from the Lord. Do you know why that is? Because they didn't have anything else. Right? Like when church was the only thing that you had and you didn't have these personal private disciplines that you did when church wasn't happening and then all of a sudden you start drifting, it's because you didn't have this other stuff in your life you know, and it didn't keep you on the track that you needed to. So we're going to look at three private spiritual disciplines that I think, there, there are probably more, but I think Scripture highlights these three that can help you understand how to develop your faith. Right? So here's the first one. So the first one is daily devotions, okay? So the, the first private discipline that you need to have is daily devotions. Now, I've always said this, and, and I think people struggle with this idea that you should get up and you should have devotions. Like, you should actually read your own Bible, right? You shouldn't always have somebody else tell you what it says, right? It's not good to just have somebody else say, here's what the Bible says, and you're like, oh, that's what the Bible says. And you know why? Because I've seen this before inside of churches. Like, all of a sudden you see people doing some things and you're like, how in the world did they ever get that? They're like, well, that's what the preacher said. 
And I'm like, well, then the preacher's nuts, right? Because there ain't no way that's what the Scripture says. I mean, I guarantee you that's not what the Scripture says. Well, how can the preacher say things that Scripture doesn't say? They do it all the time, right? Like it happens inside of churches all the time where people manipulate the Word of God to get what they want, right? So you should be reading your own Bible. You should be getting up, and you should have, you know, private disciplines. And so the one great thing, and I said it in our, our men's group, and we talked about this a long time ago, the version app, like, if, you know, people are like, well, I don't even know if I have a Bible. I'm like, well, you have one on your phone. Like, that thing's with you all of the time. And you know what it can do? It can remind you, right? It even reminds you that you should be doing your, your, your disciplines and that you should be getting up and doing, you know, your devotions. So these daily devotions that you should do. In fact, Jesus gives us this model when he says this. This is in Matthew 6, 6, so it kind of gives you a parameters, like how should you do your daily devotions, or what should it look like, or how, you know, what kind of time should we be spending? So Matthew 6, 6 says this, but when you pray, so let's make sure that we understand this. It's not if you pray, okay? It's not when you pray when something's wrong in your life, but this is if you are a Christian, the assumption that Jesus is making is that you're going to be praying, right? Like they're going to be in conversation with him. That's the whole idea behind this. So he says, but when you pray, this is what you should do, right? So it's setting up this, this private discipline. You need to go into your room, you need to close the door, and you need to pray to your father who is unseen. Then your father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. So this is what he says. So you can take this for however you want and figure out how you need to do this. But he says specifically in your life, there needs to be a time where you get away, right? Where you set aside a time and you go to a place and you have a conversation with your God, right? Now, I think the reason that he would say this is because we are in a world of busyness and so we love multitasking, right? So I just talk to God in the car. I just talk, to, which is nothing wrong with that, right? Like there's nothing wrong with having conversations with God in the car. And there's nothing wrong with having conversations with God as you walk. But I think what he's telling us is sometimes in those moments you can be distracted. When you go into a room where there is nothing, you're either going to fall asleep or talk to God. And I've done both, Right? <laughs> I mean, let's be real. Like, you get up in the morning, and you had a long day, and you're sitting there reading, you're like, next thing you know, you're like, oh, Lord. <laughs> you know, this didn't go quite the way that I thought it was going to go. But I'm just being real with you. These, this is how it works. If you decide to do it, and you decide to get away, and you decide to go into a room, and you decide to stay focused on just one thing, you will find out how distracted your mind is. Anybody done this before? Like you go in, the, like the first time you go into a room and you sit by yourself and then you start thinking of things, of everything else that you could be doing and where you're supposed to be and all that needs to get done in the day. And you're like, where in the world? My mind is going a thousand miles an hour. And that's why he's saying, I want to teach you a discipline. I'm not even saying you have to do this all day long, but I want to teach you a discipline where you and I are together for a time and no one's going to interrupt us, right? And, I, and we need those types of things. Now, then he says, if you do that, if you go alone, so this is the challenge, right? Find a place, get away, be alone, you know, pick a time. You know, I would say for personalities like mine, it had to start with like five or ten minutes because ten minutes seemed like four hours of sitting by yourself, you know. And so it has to start with something, but it will lead into. So find a place, get away, be alone. 
In that time, it means you need to have a conversation with God. I don't know what starts your conversations, whether it's a devotional book, whether it's you reading scripture. I don't know, but you need to do something where you have that conversation that's going to stir it up. Then he says that he's going to give you a reward. You know what the reward is? A relationship. (laughs) What better reward could you get, right? Because now all of a sudden you've said, I care enough about you. Because you know this in our own personal relationships, right? People who care about relationships make time for relationships. I've said this, one of the greatest things about my wife that I should learn from her. She is so good about relationships, right? Like she's like, I'm going to set it, I'm going to check in on my friends. I'm going to text my friends. I'm going to call my friends. I'm like, man, I forget all those things. You know what I mean? Like I'm, I'm like, well, I just assumed they would know I care, right, type of thing. And she's like, no, like you need to let them know that you care. You need to text them and like, Wish them happy, like, happy birthday, and you need to do all of the stuff that happens inside of a relationship because the benefit of a relationship is lasting forever, right? And so he says the benefit of you getting alone and spending time with God is you have a personal relationship that's not tied to something that's just corporate that's going to go away. So when times get tough and church gets tough and all of a sudden you're like, I don't know if I'm getting anything out of it, you're like, it doesn't matter because I'm grounded in a relationship with my Lord. Now, here's the rub, and I get this rub all the time. Do you know how busy my life is? I can't get up any earlier, right? I can't get up any earlier. And I, you know, I used to say this to kids all, back to the pre-decision, then go to bed, right? That's why I love when the iPhone came out with a bedtime alarm. Anybody use this? Am I the only one? I love that sucker because it's like, it shows how much time you're going to sleep and you make this decision. And so if you're at my house and my bedtime alarm goes off, I'm leaving, (laughs) You can hang out all you want, but I'm going to bed. And the reason I'm going to bed is I'm getting up at 4 o'clock in the morning, and I don't want to be like, oh, my gosh, I can't. Or I don't want to be like these kids we fire all the time, right, that are like, I slept through five alarms, and it's 11 o'clock. How do you sleep through five alarms? Well, I didn't go to bed till 2 o'clock. Did you know you had to be up by 4 o'clock? I knew that. I'm like, this is the problem, right? Here's the problem. You're sleeping through your alarms because you're not disciplined to go to bed, Right? How'd I get off on that subject? <laughs> oh, yeah, like get up in the morning and, you know, pre-decide, but you're too busy, right? You can't figure it out because there's always something to get up and do, right? And you have so much to get to, and you can't figure out how to get to it in your day. And so Jesus addresses this. So in Luke 5, 15 through 16, he doesn't address it, but essentially we just look at his life. It says, yet the news about him spread all the more, so that the crowds and the people came to hear him to be healed of their sickness. So imagine Jesus' popularity is growing, right? So Jesus' popularity, he heals some people, and then there's more people, right? Like, he's building a ministry that as soon as he does something, when you meet one need, what usually happens? Another one comes up, and another one comes up. And you, I hope you know this. If you start giving yourself away to meet the needs of people, just so you understand, the needs never go away. Right? Like they just never go away. They just keep getting bigger and bigger and bigger. And so when you choose to invest in the lives of people and their needs just keep growing, Jesus gave an example. So life is busy and we should be out meeting all these people's needs and doing what, what better could we do than go out and do ministry with people? This is what he says. What better could we do? But Jesus often withdrew to lonely places and prayed. Why? Now, don't miss this, okay? 
because I've seen way too much of this in the lives of people. You're out meeting people's needs on empty, and they only have you, and they don't get Jesus. The reason he went alone to play is because he needs filled up to be able to give out. I mean, Jesus flat out said, I've done nothing on this earth that the Father hasn't told me to do. So you don't want to face a busy day? I suggest facing a busy day with the direction of Jesus and not yourself. Right? Like, I think that's the way that we should address it. So the reason you withdraw, the reason, and again, I always get pushed back on this, the reason you do it in the morning, right, is because the busy day is coming, and the question is going to be, are you going to be focused on God's work or yours? And so for anybody that's been through this process, here's what you know. If you don't get up and reset yourself and the day starts getting out of control, God tends to not be anywhere in that, Right? Because you're going to fix it, and you're going to make it all right, and you're going to work harder, and you're going to, instead of being like, okay, I get, refocus, remember what he's told me this morning? Refocus, refocus, you know, that's just the way that it works. So in those private disciplines, he teaches us busyness is not an excuse to not get alone with the Lord and listen to what he has to say. So if you're sitting there saying, I can't get up in the morning because there's so much to do, well, Jesus figured it out. So I don't know why we can't figure out, because I'm assuming Jesus is way more important than us. Well, maybe not some of you, but right? Like most of us are like, Jesus had way more important stuff than we had to do, you know? And so he's saying if you want to get it done right, have the private spiritual discipline to get up in the morning, get alone with him, have a conversation with him, and let him start speaking into your life. Now, here's what I know you're going to say. I've never heard him speak before. Anybody been there? Right, like you're sitting in there and there's like complete silence. They're like, God said to listen to him and all I hear is nothingness, right? And so my suggestion would be to you is, one, when you read the Bible, it is the living word of God, so he is speaking to you, right? It's not all about the audible voice. You know what I mean? Does that... Right? So when you're reading the word of God, he is speaking to you because it says that the word is living and that that living word is speaking into your life. Now, there might be times where you're reading and you're like, man, I didn't get anything. But that's how discipline works, right? So the first time you work out and you take off your shirt, you look at yourself, you're like, okay, that didn't work. <laughs> right? I mean, when you do that, it's not like instantaneous, like, hey, it worked. But then the next time it might not work, and the next time, and then there's going to be this time, you know what I mean? Like you read it, and you're like, he's speaking to me. Like that was directly thought to me. And then it's going to start growing, and you're going to start seeing, and it's so special. But if you give up because you think you don't hear, then you're going to miss out on what he wants to say. Right? Start and be disciplined. All right, here's the second one. Percentage giving. Right? So one of the disciplines that you need to have is percentage giving. Again, deciding that your income, a percentage of your income needs to be given away, right? It's a, it's a private spiritual discipline. In fact, I think what you're going to see, if you read inside of Scripture and, and you address this idea of money and things, it's something that's addressed more than anything else, right? And a lot of times you don't want to talk about it in church because everybody's out there like, oh my gosh, the preacher wants more money. Listen, <laughs> We've never had money, and if we have money, I don't really care. I care about your faith, right? And so if you look at this idea of percentage giving and why it should be a discipline, 
It's not about your money coming into the church. It's about your faith, right? That's how he says it. That's what he talks about. So in it, in Matthew 6, 31 through 33, so here's what he says when it comes to this concept of our money and our stuff if we don't pre-decide what's going to happen. So he says, don't worry, saying, what shall we eat or what shall we drink or what shall we wear? Now, what he's saying is when you don't pre-decide to trust God with all of your stuff, you're going to worry. Now, I doubt very many people in this room worried about what you're going to eat and what you're going to wear, right, or what you're going to drink. But you did worry about whether or not your kids are going to be able to go to college or you are going to be able to afford the bills, the medical bills, or you are going to be able to afford the travel, right? Like there's something that you sat there and be like, there's not enough money to go around. Anybody else ever been there? Like when you're looking at all the expenses and you look at you're like, okay, there ain't nothing, there ain't enough. So how could I give it away? We're barely making it, right? So he says, you need to start developing this mindset of not worrying about these things. Like, <laughs> easier said than done, right? Right? Yeah, it's easier said than done to not worry about it when the bill's in there and they've stamped that, which is always funny. They stamp that past due right in the middle, and it's really big and it's in red. Like, it's hard to not look at that and be like, yeah, don't worry about that. Well, they are, right? The bill collector is the, you know what I mean, the paying the cost. Somebody's worried about it, but, but God says you don't have to, Jesus says you don't have to worry about it. In fact, he would say in verse 32, for the pagans run after all of these things. Right? And, the, and so he's comparing this idea that if we do worry about it, then we are somewhat like the pagans. And he says, the reason that you shouldn't worry is that your heavenly father knows that you need to send your kids to college. Your heavenly father knows the bills that you have. The heavenly father knows that that money is tight. The heavenly father knows the things that are going on in your life. It's not like God's looking down like, wow, that was a surprise. Right? Like he knows where you're at and he knows that you're going to look at these things and your tendency is going to be to struggle, but he knows your needs. But then verse 33 says, but the way that you're going to do it is but uh, seek first the kingdom and his righteousness and all these things will be given to you as well, right? So this is what you have to settle in your heart. Nothing belongs to you. So even when I say percentage giving, percentage giving is more about developing a discipline to change your heart, right? Because normally what's inside of my heart and your heart is this is my stuff, right? This is my money. These are my things. These are, you know, all of this encompasses our heart. And so he says, if you seek first the kingdom of God, everything else will fall in place. When you seek first the kingdom of God, here's what you realize. None of it's yours. And if you've ever been through this experience, like God will remind you of it. Like I've been through these experiences where you build everything up and you get to where you want and then everything goes away. Then you start over again and God reminds you like, okay, yeah, it wasn't my stuff, right? And so when you get to these places where you start to worry, what you're worrying about is, is that, you know, if it all goes away, what's going to happen? And I'm like, it's all going to go away. What's the worst thing that could happen to you? It's all going to go away. And I'm like, well, if that's the worst thing, I don't really care because that's happened before, right? I've lost everything before and build it back up. And if you lose everything again, I don't really care because my focus is where? I hope. The kingdom of heaven, right? 
What's more important is not whether I, I gain or lose my material possessions. The idea is, is that I'm seeking first the kingdom of God, meaning all my possessions are his because if he wants them all back and he wants to take everything away, take it away. If you want to grow it, then grow it. But at the end of the day, it's all yours anyway, right? So you, you, you settle that inside of your heart. Now, here's the struggle, I think, for most people. I think most people would think, you know, my greatest battle in my life is between, you know, Satan and, and, and me. Like, I'm battling against Satan all the time. Well, here's what Scripture tells you. You know what your greatest enemy is going to be? It's not Satan. Do you know what your greatest enemy is going to be? Money, your stuff, right? Your greatest enemy in your life is not Satan. The number one competitor for your heart is not Satan. It is your stuff. And he says it in, inside of Scripture. Listen to what he says. This is Matthew 6, 24. No one can serve two masters. That's an obvious one, right? Like, have you ever been in, in a work situation where there's, like, two bosses and they think differently? And they're both trying to tell you what to do? Like, in this world, here's what you'll know. You're going to love one and hate the other one. Right? Because the one's going to kind of fit what you're thinking and the other one's not. And so you're going to love one and hate them. So we know that naturally. Like it doesn't work when you have two bosses. You need a boss to tell you what to do. Right? So anybody that's into that like, oh, it's just co-leadership and two bosses and they tell you what to do. Well, that's all fine when they agree. But when they disagree, it goes south really quick. Well, Scripture says the same thing. You can't have two masters. Right? You can't be serving two people, which we would then say, yeah, well then... The two people that we're deciding between is God and the devil, right? Isn't that what you would think that Scripture would say? Like the thing that the masters that you're trying to figure out is, I'm either going to have the master God, I'm going to have the master the devil, but that's not what he says. He says, you will either hate the one or love the other, or you'll be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money, stuff, things. Like this came prevalent to my life, so... Crown Financial is something that was really popular a long time ago. I don't know if Crown's, you know, that popular right now. A lot of people do Dave Ramsey stuff. Crown Financial, so in the beginning when I got saved, it seemed very natural to give a percentage of my income, right? So I just gave a percentage of my income. But I did it religiously. Does that make sense? Not religiously like I did it all the time, but I did it religiously because, like, oh, that's what he told me to do, so I'm just doing it. But something wasn't changing inside of my heart. Like I was giving and then I'm sitting there looking and I'm like, nothing's working and I'm so upset and there's never enough money and I work my tail off and we built this stupid house and I hate paying for it and all I do is sleep in the dumb thing and my house payment's too big and I can't get it to work. And I'm always complaining and whining about there's never enough money. So this guy, Pat Wellman, came to me like, hey, did you ever take Crown Financial? I'm like, no, I've never done that before. And he's like, well, it might help you stop whining so much, right? So... We did this Crown Financial class, and he did it with me together just personally, and then we taught it together as a class. But the basis of Crown Financial was what shifted my heart from I'm going to give a percentage to none of it's mine. So look at things completely differently, and that's what Crown did. Crown went back into Scripture, and there's so many Scriptures that deal with money and stuff that said, hey, Mike, maybe you should get over, like, you're a little bit, you know, arrogant in the fact that you think that you worked for all of this and everything that you gained is because of you. It is not because of you. Like, thanks for working hard, but your gain is because of the Lord. 
right? Like, don't forget, work hard, be diligent, do all of those things. But you are where you are because God allowed you to be there. So forgetting him in the process will just make you think you got to keep the house of cards up, even though you're giving money, right? Like, you got to keep, you know, rearranging and making it all work, and you're trying to keep them, they start to fall, and you try to prop them back up. Crown Financial changed the, the perspective of my life when I understood that it's not my stuff. Here's the last one, corporate worship. Doesn't sound like a private discipline, right, when you say corporate worship. But here's what I think that you're going to see, right? So when you look at this idea that we should have daily devotions, you should have percentage giving, but corporate worship is important, I want you to think of it this way. Do you remember back in 2020? Anybody remember 2020? Like there was something going on where people couldn't meet together, right? And everybody's like, oh, man, I miss going to church. And I'm like, let's think about this for a second. What are you really saying? Because it can't be the preaching, right? Because you can listen to any preacher, right? Like you can get online, you can listen to any preacher at any time that you want that are way better than me, right? Like you can get online and you can listen to anybody that you want. And it can't be walking in the building because you could have walked in this building anytime you wanted to, right? Like you could have came at any point at any time, walked through the building, and it's still different than this, right? Why? Why is it different? Why is it that corporate worship is supposed to do something for us personally, right? Why is it that when we get together, that the gathering of people together changes something in you internally? So let's look at what Scripture says. So in Matthew 18, 20, he says, For for where there are two or three gathered in my name, there I am with them. Now, a lot of times that's misinterpreted just to say, well, we're just gathering together and we're, you know, singing some songs and so God's going to be with us. In this context, when he was talking about it, he was talking about this idea. And I hope this is what we understand about corporate worship. You're not here for just you. And when you come for just you, you miss the whole point of corporate worship. If you're coming here today and your only focus is to say, I'm here for me. And I need to be filled. And I need, and I need, you hear me? Right? Like, I need all of these things. You've missed the idea of corporate worship. You know why we get together? Because you could have got filled anywhere else. You didn't have to come into a church to get it done. Right? You could get filled through a preacher online. You could get filled through, again, reading the Bible. The reason that we come together is because you're not here for just you. You're here Because God wants you with people with this idea that the purpose of you being here is to take opportunities to build relationships to change lives. Right? Like that's why you're here. You don't come to just file in and file out. I know some of you do, but that's not the idea, right? The idea is that you come, the idea that the reason there's a cafe out there with donuts right? It's so that you have relationship opportunities, times to be able to sit around with people, times that you know, like, listen to me. I hope you know this. In the midst of worship, it's a personal thing, like we're worshiping, but there are people that are watching that I will just tell you that in the midst of watching somebody worship, it changed their life. I will tell you that because somebody shook a hand of a person who felt alone when they walked in that door, and you could say, well, I'm just a door greeter. No, you're not. You're an evangelist. I mean, I don't even know why you would think that just being a door greeter or just being a place to man, like, that's not what you are. There have been people saved because the people at the door said, you're important. 
And they didn't say you're important. They just said, they looked at him and said, I've noticed you, right? I know who you are. You're expecting, right? This is what I'm hoping you're expecting. I'm hoping you're expecting divine relationships and divine opportunities. And I hope you're looking for those divine relationships and opportunities when you come in this room because God's setting them up. That's why he wants us to gather. Because you know how much easier it would be to not do this? For anybody that's not serving, you might not know, but for anybody that serves and the hundred-some people it takes to get this done on a Sunday morning, it'd be way easier if you just listened online, right? It'd be way easier if you just listened to any preacher and did it. Like, we are setting this up because God has said something about being together, and this is what Paul says in 1 Corinthians. We're going to end with this. 1 Corinthians 12, 27 says, Now you are the body of Christ, and each one of you, listen to me, No one in this room, if you are a Christian, is excluded from what this scripture says. You are a part of the body of Christ, and if you're not functioning in your part, the body is missing out. Should I say that one more time? Right? Everybody is a part of the body of Christ. Nobody's excluded because of their background. Nobody's excluded because of their busyness in life. Nobody's excluded because they do or don't know things about the Bible. It says, you have a part. If you're a Christian, you have a part. And it doesn't matter your age. You hear me? Like, it doesn't matter if you're young or matter if you're old. You haven't, you haven't ended your season, and it's not like, well, I haven't started my season. Your season started the time you gave your life to Jesus Christ. And your season will only end when you stand in front of him someday. You hear me? <clears throat> Seasons only end when your last breath is taken. So live on purpose. So the worship team's going to come back up. I'm going to give you, and this might sound corny, but I'm going to give you a 30-day challenge. Okay? So I want you to consider this, right? So you might have been really good at one of these, two of these. You might be really good at all of them. So this 30-day challenge might be simple for you. So here's what I want you to do over the next 30 days, okay? This is pre-deciding, okay? I'm going to pre-decide for 30 days. I'm going to give God, this is the first thing, I'm going to give God the first minutes of my day. So you're going to make a decision, and if you can't get up, go to bed earlier to get up, right? And you're going to do it before you start your day. You're going to give him the first minutes. And I don't know what those minutes are, like two minutes, five minutes, 20 minutes. I don't know what that is, but you're going to give him the first, right? You're going to give him the first minutes of your day, and you're going to, at that time, you're going to pray to your father, right? Now, again, what does pray to your father look like? Find something, right? Find something that triggers the relationship, whether it's the YouVersion app. They have Bible studies on there that you can do. They're really good. It can spur those things on. If it's opening up your own Bible, if you don't have a devotional, talk to somebody. They can get you a devotional. Or if it's just sitting there saying, like, hey, God, like, here's the way I'm feeling. Here's what's going on. Even if it's just that, right? But have, give him the first minutes of your day, okay? The other part is give him the first pieces of your money, of your income, right? So if you're not into percentage giving, I don't care what the percentage is. A lot of people get hung up on like, you need to tithe. Like, listen, pre-decide to make a decision to honor God to say, it's not mine. So I'm going to pre-decide. And when I say this now, Somebody's going to get mad about this, but that's okay. Sometimes in giving, we're like, why give when there's a need? (laughs) Okay. Thank you. Right? Thank you. 
But when you give when there's a need, right, that essentially honors you, does that make sense? Like, there's a need, and I came in, and I met the need, and I'm not saying it's wrong. Please understand me. That's a part of it. But you do need to understand this. We need to give because it's a discipline to remind us every single week or every single month, none of it's ours. And if you don't have a percentage giving discipline in there, there's a lot of times where it's hard to, to remember it's not mine, right? Because you know when you, I don't know if even have people have checks anymore. It's like if you write a check or it comes out of your account, like whatever those things are, it's a reminder it's not mine, right? And we need that in our lives. So the other one is this, give them the first day of the week. Even if you're sitting there struggling with, should I come to church and I don't really feel like it and I don't know what the message really applies this time, come regardless. Come with an expectation. God has a divine appointment for you. Look for it, pray for it, and take advantage of it because God is saying that this gathering together, disciplining yourself to give him the first day of the week, that he's going to do something through all of this that's not done anywhere else, okay? Will you stand so I can pray for you? So Heavenly Father, I want to pray with an understanding that we know that discipline is difficult in our lives. And a lot of times it's because it, the gratification of discipline comes later on. And so Lord, I pray today that you will give us the courage to make those decisions anyway. I pray that you'll give us the courage to get up every morning, to pre-decide that we are going to be reminded of the first fruits and give them back to you. And that we never forget the gathering together with the idea that you have divine appointments in place, divine conversations that are going to happen, that you're going to use those to build our faith. So Heavenly Father, give us the courage to have these private disciplines. Lord, we love you. In your name we pray. Amen.
raised in me from life's first cry to final breath jesus commands my destiny no power of hell no scheme of man could ever pluck me from his hand till he returns or calls me I stand no power of hell no scheme of man could ever pluck me from his hand till he returns or calls me home here in the power of Christ I stand till he returns or calls me So I love inside of that song where it says, until he returns or until he calls.